So this is somebody who is recommending retching on a carrot or similar, aggressively gargling and holding coffee in your rectum until you can't hold it in anymore so that you feel better. When you put it like that, Johnny, I've just received a polar heart strap. Oh, you're so good at this. <laughs> I always know when the countdown's finished, you're going to say something unexpected. It's never the topic of the podcast. It's always something oblique to that. And it always catches me off guard. And this is a great, if you've been listening to podcasts in series, this will make sense why you received this. I just feel like it's important to start with some high drama, you know. Right. <laughs> so the polar heart strap is a heart rate variability monitor. And to get a proper accurate reading, unfortunately, wrist-based pulse optical sensors are not adequate. So you need something that's on your chest. So I emailed polar because I've got a few experiments coming up that I thought would make sense for this. And do you know what? I've been able to raise my HRV by gargling. <laughs> okay. So are you wearing the heart rate strap now? No, it's one of those things that just sounds like a proper bullshit thing. Yeah. Gargling improves vagal tone, but it's tangible. Does it improve you your feel HRV as well? <laughs> just while you're gargling, or does it improve? Like when? So when are you measuring the HRV? Firstly, so I did a waking sitting measurement at baseline, gargled for a minute, and then did a follow up, and then another one half an hour later, and it produces a <laughs> a sustained improvement in HRV. Unbelievable. And is gargling okay? What was your HRV beforehand? I'll have to check the numbers. I think it was a ticket from 65 to high 70s. So this all comes from a guy called Datis Karazian, who is a neurologist and he's big on the vagus nerve. Thank you. So yeah, he's like all this stuff about, you know, just use some crystals and do this and that for you. Live, laugh, love more and all this stuff for your vagus nerve. He's like, no, no, there's only two ways that you can actually improve vagal tone. And one of them is holding coffee in your rectum as long as you can until you're <laughs> bursting to go and like fighting against that. And that's the thing that causes you to like build up that tolerance. And the second one is aggressive gargling. He's like, you can't just gargle a little bit. You have to really go for it. The range of things that you do for the sake of like niche outcomes is insane. Just to give some context to that, I want to tell a very brief story about the time can you hear me all right? Or is it, there's a bit of a delay? There is a delay, but. But you can hear me. Hopefully. I'm not one pixel. You can hear me and see me. Cool. I was sat in Yusuf's kitchen and we were doing some work and his Asda shop arrived. Can I tell this story? Yeah. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of many. His Asda shop arrived and there's all the stuff you'd expect, like the cereal he had an addiction to, like herbs, spices, meats lots of ready meals, some low calorie jellies, and then a bag of whole carrots. And I looked at that and I thought that doesn't seem right. There's something about that doesn't seem like the sort of thing that you stuff would buy. <laughs> so I asked him about it, confronted him. I thought, I can't just leave this unsaid, you know, maybe he's having a hard time. Maybe he wants to talk about it. So I asked him and it transpired that you were trying to improve your gag reflex. And I can't remember the reason. So that is also a recommendation from Datis Karadian. 
Right. It's about improving the innovation or the mitochondrial response to the gag reflex. So he recommends having tongue depressors and just like making yourself gag multiple times a day. So this is somebody who is recommending retching on a carrot or similar, aggressively gargling and holding coffee in your rectum until you can't hold it in anymore so that you feel better. When you put it like that, Johnny, it sounds really quacky, but actually he's a fully legit neurologist in the States. He basically says like this stuff is difficult and unpleasant. And so people don't do it. And actually they gravitate to doing all the kind of attractive biohacks that look cool and are good for Instagram and all this stuff. When it comes down to brass tacks, improving your vagal tone, that's the only way. Just get yourself a bag of carrots. Okay. So, and what about your device, your little glowing crystal skull that you're going to put in your room? Have you used that yet? I mean, the reason for the polar heart strap, just for background for everyone, is to get as many measures as possible of seeing whether these devices work. So I've got a few things to test over the next few months, including blood glucose and cold exposure and this device. So I'm getting a baseline at the minute. I've wrapped it in foil and given it to my girlfriend. So she's got the device. So I'm fully away from it because I don't want to do is you know, accidentally harmonize my environment before I'm ready to do the intervention measure. I mean, God forbid. Have you wrapped it in foil so that she doesn't get a snidey HRV improvement without you getting the benefit? I've encouraged her to turn it on when she's there, but if I'm ever around at her house, I'll cover it in foil and turn it off. I'm skeptical about the device, but I thought, do you know what? Just because I'm skeptical doesn't mean that I shouldn't treat it seriously. You know, I need to do everything I can to show whether or not it makes an improvement and get myself out of the way. Gargling. So should I gargle? <laughs> it's by the sounds of things, yes, I should. You've got a whoop strap. Can you do the acute measurement? Oh, the with Fitbit as well. You can do an acute measure of heart rate variability. Just at night time. It does it automatically at night time in deep sleep. Okay. You can't do a, like an impromptu measure. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Maybe then test two minutes of gargling before bed and see what happens to your sleep. What happens to my sleep? So it's going to improve my sleep as well. Theoretically. Yeah. But if you get a sleeping HRV measure and you do that for a few days, that'd be quite interesting. Yeah. I've got quite a lot of data as well. I've probably got 200 measures. There's a tool called exist.io, which we're currently using to gather some data for these videos. It's the best thing that I could find so far of just answering when I do this, this happens. Weirdly difficult to get. And I know we talked about this a couple of episodes ago on the measurement devices episode, probably put everyone to sleep, but there's so much in terms of data gathering, but everything's locked away into their own proprietary data banks and Instead, you just want something where you can be like, right, today I went skiing or today I had a cold shower. What did this do to my heart rate? And this seems to be the best option. So if you're someone who is a bit of a dweeb like us and you want to know about these things, have a look at exist.io. I'm just looking at it now. I think I remember you sending me this quite a while ago and it integrated with like a couple of things at the time. It seems like they've really piled on there integrations. Is this the same thing? Yeah, they've worked on a lot of integrations now. So it connects to any wearables and that kind of thing and pulls it all together and gives you a dashboard and then comes up with its own insights as well as like sometimes it's like, oh, we noticed that 
you sleep worse when you're tweeting more or like when you have more steps this happens so yeah pretty good that is tempting to do because it plugs into apple health doesn't it now and apple health plugs into loads of stuff i feel like that's the keystone yeah it's a nice hub apple health has the potential to be so powerful but it just falls short like what do you think it's missing like there's no desktop app there's no web app and you can't do much with the data it's a very nice interface for what it is but they've just made it too lightweight and they just take data from other people it does my menstrual cycles (laughs) so does fitbit probably does a better job i've actually just bought becca a fitbit for a present and it's really interesting seeing her having someone to compare like sleep and steps and hrv and like all the different stats like having a comparison rather than just looking at your own her sleep is annoyingly quite good though like really consistent i'm surprised i would have thought your numbers would be quite similar if you live the same lifestyle she basically gets an extra hour of sleep to me so i'll wake up at 6 30 she'll wake up 7 30 and that means that she's got like an extra hour to like force through a higher sleep score if that makes sense. Like I have to get all of my deep sleep and REM sleep in an hour less of total sleep to beat her score. And that's mm-hmm. where she's just, if I have like a big training session or I'm very active one day, my sleep quality is lower. She beats me. That's annoying. So onto the meat and potatoes of today's episode. A question that we commonly get asked is, I have no presence on social media at all. Can this still work for me? Can I still get online with online coaching and make a success of this. Now, there's a few reasons why you might be asking this question. And usually there's a deeper reason why it's coming up. But we want to go through a framework to help you to come to a conclusion for this. So you're probably asking because you're not sure. You may be paralyzed by choice on which social media platform you should do or what you should be doing at all. Should I be posting organically? You know, you see us talk about why organic social media can be a bit of a waste of time and you're just on the hamster wheel. But by being stuck in this kind of floundering, you're never going to come to an answer. You're just going to punt it further and further down the river. Yeah. And I think while this sort of strays into the bias and psychology and problems that people experience in all aspects of life, like really at the core of it, you're probably searching for some certainty or even trying to remove the risk involved as well before you take action. So like, you're not sure which direction to go in, you're not sure what to do, what not to do, who to listen to, whether to buy something, whether to work with a coach, like what if you invest in a coach and it's too much money and it doesn't work. And so all of those things combined, a lot of the time we find just people just sort of stay locked in this, like, I'll do it later, I'll do it next month. They don't take any actions themselves. So they don't set up anything on their own, but they also don't actually buy from anybody and work with anybody. And instead they just stay in this land of like, I'll kick it on, I'll kick it on, I'll do it next week, I'll do it next month. Because what they're looking for is this like risk-free, easy option that's definitely going to work. There is no way of accessing something that costs no money, costs no time, and works without you trying, sadly. That's the only way to guarantee absolute failure. Mm -hmm. And we always ask this, but just flip it around. You know, if you had a client that was saying, I want to start exercising, but I haven't joined a gym. I've not hired a PT and I've not done anything, but I really, I really want to do it. And you go, okay, well, have you taken any steps towards, if you started reading a book about it or you start, no, no, but I really want the result. You'd be like, well, no, you don't like, you're not serious because you've done nothing. Mm. So that's usually the kind of core of this. And it's very clear when you think of how would you advise a client with that in terms of exercise, 
but we're often blind to this when there's more variables at play. Now, our program does help you go from absolute zero. It's not that you need a social media presence. And we talk through how to get, you know, from zero to your first client, to your first 10 clients, and then building the group program and the systems that will help you build the underlying growth. But you've got to ask yourself, like, are you asking this question because you're serious and you're looking to get off on the right foot? Or are you just kind of flirting with the idea in general? And this is just one more obstacle to put in the way to help you punt it down the river and not have to think about it for now and stay in that sense of safety because you can't fail if you don't start. Mm. And there's so many people talk about this idea that you get the same sense of reward and excitement from talking about the thing you're going to do as you do from actually doing the thing. And so I think that sometimes we see this pattern where those people will schedule sometimes one or even sometimes a couple of calls with us. They want all the details. They want to talk about it. They almost get all excited about it and then retreat to, well, actually I've got, like, I'm going to finish this qualification I'm doing. And then really I should probably try and like get a couple of clients first and then I'll reach back out to you guys. But it's like, I can't wait to work with you. I can't wait. They're almost in their head. They've started, but actually they've still, aside from maybe getting a PT qualification, done nothing. Like they've got no online presence, no online clients. Six months later, when those people book a call again, almost always they're in the same position. They're in exactly the same position and they'll come on the call and say, oh, it's been such a busy six months. I've had so much going on and it's kind of a repeating cycle, but ultimately they still feel safe because they've not risked anything. And it's still this exciting prospect that's still going to happen. That's still the thing that they're going to do when life quietens down, basically. This is why we say this is about your relationship with safety and with failure. It's not about social media or the next qualification or whatever. It's just about how you see this stuff and it's never going to solve itself. Unfortunately, we just see the patterns so often. So I hope this doesn't sound too brutal, but as Johnny says, you know, you speak to the people who have this kind of justification and six months later, you can guarantee they've done nothing because they are just flirting with the idea and getting that cheap dopamine from thinking about it rather than actually doing it. So the crux of this and the main reason for this video is to ask, why have you done nothing? Why have you got no social media presence? And make sure that you're not just doing it for punting stuff down the river. You know, maybe you are genuinely weighing up the relative merits of Instagram versus LinkedIn. You've done lots of quantitative analysis on where your niche usually hang out or whatever, but most likely it's because you're scared and maybe you haven't got the faith in yourself to execute. So just keep remembering, what would you say to a client who has that fear of executing and do that? And if this is something that has maybe pressed a button in you, if you're thinking, actually, I think I've got some of these patterns running me, then have a listen to the episode we did a while back called the failure uniform. It just outlines the 10 characteristics that people who go through the program who typically fail share. And luckily they're all changeable. You can get a handle on them, but it is something to bear in mind. Maxwell Maltz says, we have the skills and talents that are disabled by our belief systems. You most likely are more than competent enough to get your client a good result. The coaches that we speak to every day, and even the people who haven't coached anyone and they're starting, they're doing it because they've got passion and knowledge and experience in themselves. And the thing that's getting in the way of giving their gift to the world is all this kind of internal self-talk. So get yourself out of the way, start serving your audience, start making some money. I was thinking about this yesterday. Well, recently 
we have increased our ad spend as part of an experiment. We've made a few changes to the business. And one of those things is increasing ad spend. And Yusuf and I've had a couple of calls this month about the sort of emotions that brings up of like, oh my God, you know, these numbers are huge. There's large swings in revenue and all these sorts of things that happen. And it made me think that so many parts of starting, running, scaling, especially a business like this, it's actually the skill of pain tolerance or it's the ability to tolerate. I don't mean like physical pain. I mean, like, I guess it's uncertainty, right? It's in your instance, the uncertainty of for the next two years, I'm going to post one video per week on a YouTube channel and fingers crossed that, you know, it leads to the right direction. And the pain is being consistent, not missing a week, accepting some videos flop, accepting the goals in two years time with starting a business like this, like what the feeling you're feeling now, if you're sort of sat there, you've not done anything, you're thinking about getting in touch with us, you're thinking about working with a mentor, but it's all a bit uncomfortable because at some point you're going to have to go some way with it. You're either going to decide I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to hire a mentor. I'm going to accept this might take me five years to figure it out, or I've got a bit of money saved up. I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to hire someone that knows what they're doing. and I'm going to follow what they're doing. That discomfort you're feeling, your ability to sit with that and be okay with that, the better you are at that, the better the business will do. And I think that's a weird, it's something that I keep being reminded of. The people who are really, really good at any level of business at some point have taken a huge amount of risk and just being okay with that huge amount of risk to ultimately access the outcome that they get. You're right. It is just willingness to experience discomfort, isn't it? And again, all of these patterns map over so perfectly into online coaching and what you would say to your clients. You know, you have someone who says, I'm not an exercise person. Oh, exercise is really painful for me. I don't like the burn in the pump and whatever. You're like, no one does. Exercise is a pain stimulus to everybody. Our reptilian brains don't want to do it because it's uncomfortable. The only difference is not that someone experiences exercise as pain and someone else doesn't. It's that someone is expecting that it's going to be uncomfortable and is still willing to put to pursue it because they know that there's a cool result on the other side. Yeah. So like last night when I was sat on the sofa starving and Becca was eating biscuits and I was having my second 10 calorie jelly for the evening. I'm sat there thinking like, <laughs> I'm sure you would have loved some biscuits. I'd have loved a biscuit. I'd love a biscuit now. You sit the sort of feeling of hunger. <laughs> I'd eat five packets of biscuits now, no problem. Wouldn't even have to try. But the sort of the feeling of hunger and discomfort, like you're doing that because, I know this is a very glib piece of motivational advice, but ultimately like the discomfort is associated with making progress towards an outcome that I said, I told myself 10 weeks ago, that's what I wanted. And during that, I'm accepting, willingly accepting that during that period of time, getting to that outcome involves feeling uncomfortable sometimes. And I think you see it in the diet world where there's like all these diets that exist to try and circumvent the fact that ultimately it's just difficult at some point. Like it doesn't matter whether you do, if it fits your macros or keto or fasting or whatever, at some point you're going to be hungry when you're dieting. And there's not really a way to get around that other than getting better at being hungry and tolerating that. And it's the same with building a business. Like it's going to be difficult at some point. You're going to have to go through some uncertainty, take a bit of a risk, put some money behind the venture, invest some time. And if you just choose to avoid all of that, you are also saying, I choose, I'm choosing to make no progress. I'm choosing to just stay where I'm at. So there we go. There's the answer to, I've got no social media presence. 
can I start with this? Sorry to go all Freud on you, but that's the answer. It's where is the question coming from? Yep. Speak to you next week. Bye. <laughs>